casa. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. In 1961, William Price marked the centennial of the Civil War with a thin volume called The Civil War Handbook, full of facts and figures that helped a generation get hooked on the study of that war. Now in 2009, we have the new Civil War Handbook, facts and photos for readers of all ages. Will it have the same impact as its predecessor? We'll talk to its author, Mark Hughes, today on Civil War Talk Radio. Hotline. Please, my daughter, I think she might hurt herself. Okay, ma'am. Her arms and legs are moving in all different directions. Yeah. Ma'am, is that music I hear? Yeah, I put on the radio and then she just lost control. Ma'am, she might be trying to dance. What? Dancing, ma'am. No, 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 I've seen dancing and that's not it. The less art kids get, the more it shows. Please visit us at americansforthearts.org. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. Jerry Prokopovich coming to you this Friday afternoon, June 19th, 2009, from my office in the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking or representing the university uh, unless I do a good job and they wish to take credit for it. And likewise, uh, my guest will speak for himself today, as always. Uh, and as always, uh, donations and contributions to the Civil War Talk Radio Book Fund are welcome here. Uh, use PayPal to send uh, your contribution to uh, what is the, the website? It's Civil War TR at AOL.com. That's the address for contributions to Civil War Talk Radio. They are not tax deductible. They are used uh, theoretically to buy more books for the show, uh, but could also be used to buy food for the cat. There's no telling what will actually happen with that money. Uh, and I'm being upfront about that. What will happen, though, is you will get a copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? Another Frequently Asked Questions about Abraham Lincoln, if you prefer, or All for the Regiment, the History of the Army of the Ohio, 1861-62. Uh, in either case, I'll be happy to send you that. Well, the uh, last few weeks on this show, we've been uh, spent a requisite amount of time each week complaining about the current uh, budget situation here in the state of North Carolina, and it's uh, dire in many states across the United States this year uh, with the economic slowdown, and uh, that affects those of us here in public higher education, certainly. No news this week to share. Uh, the state legislature continues to uh, negotiate its way toward a budget, but the signs look marginally better uh, that we'll be able to 
certainly keep running uh, with most of our uh, the staff intact and, and keep doing what we do here at the university. Last week, uh, I mentioned the possibility that some universities, uh, they are even removing the telephones from professors' offices. Uh, I guess you can bring your own cell phone if you want to chat on work time. But uh, here at World Talk Radio headquarters, that would be a disastrous blow. The phone is how we do the show, and uh, I don't think they'll take that away. Plus, the entire department only pays $20 a month for the phone service, which is connected through the uh, uh, through the computers and is not really a separate expense at all. So uh, we think we'll keep our phones uh, just fine. The Did Lincoln Own Slaves World Tour has concluded successfully, but I look forward uh, next fall to getting back uh, on the road and hopefully meeting some of you in different places uh, in Rocky Mount, North Carolina in October, uh, in Washington, D.C. at the Soldier's Home in January. You'll have more details on that. Uh, and uh, back in North Carolina, speaking to the North Carolina Association of Historians uh, in Wilson, North Carolina, uh, next March or perhaps April. Uh, one place I won't be speaking, unfortunately, is an event I would certainly like to attend. Uh, on October 17th and 18th, 2009, the American Civil War Roundtable UK will be marking uh, the centennial of Abraham Lincoln with a program called Abraham Lincoln, The Fight for the Union. It will feature uh, some very, uh, very highly renowned speakers, including Craig Simons, who has been on the show, uh, author of Lincoln and His Admirals, uh, Len Rydell of the Blue and Gray Education Society, uh, Jeffrey Parrott, author of Lincoln's War. And this will be uh, taking place in Oxford, UK, October 17th and 18th uh, of this year, 2009. So if you are one of our international listeners a little closer to that location, uh, make your plans now. If not, you've got plenty of time to arrange that transatlantic flight and make sure you are there for that event. It, uh, it looks very good. The... Uh, this will be the last live show for the season of Civil War Talk Radio uh, as the spring semester and first summer semester wind to an end here at East Carolina University. Uh, I'll be on the road doing other things, including lining up shows for the fall season. We already have some very entertaining guests uh, on tap, and I'm looking to get more. So uh, keep your suggestions coming in, and uh, please keep listening to the show. There will be uh, reruns of previous shows played throughout the summer. We'll be back in August with new live shows, a whole season of new guests, uh, new discussions, new angles on this determinative event in American history. Well, today uh, we're talking about a very interesting small volume that deals with this. By way of introduction, uh, from a personal standpoint, I recall as a child, reading about the Civil War, not through giant multi-volume sets. Uh, most 10-year-olds don't read, don't start out, say, with uh, the Catton Centennial history. But, of course, with the, uh, uh, the Bruce Catton American Heritage volume that anyone from, uh, from the generation of the, the 60s remembers with the, the wonderful bird's-eye maps and the great illustrations and a text that made sense, 
it was a, a wonderful introduction. But another great introduction were the small five by eight uh, short volumes produced by the National Park Service for the different battlefields. And over time, although I did not visit every battlefield by any means, I collected uh, the different uh, battle uh, pamphlets, uh, Gettysburg, Antietam, Shiloh, uh, Bull Run. And they were just perfect for someone who is 10 or 11 years old, uh, the right length to uh, keep one's interest uh, photos and maps showing the battlefield off of the battlefield then and now, uh, a brisk narrative. Those kinds of publications were were exactly the right thing for someone not ready to read uh, the big books. And although not in the same series, very much in the same category, was something called the Civil War Handbook by William Price, published in 1961. Uh, not a detailed history of the war, uh, not even 100 pages long, but the kind of thing you could pick up and read and get enough so that you knew more about the war than your parents, uh, that you could feel smarter than uh, adults about something because you knew just that much more. And uh, it was a very handy thing to have, a very uh, entertaining and, and useful publication. I haven't looked at my copy of, of the Civil War Handbook in many years, uh, I don't have it here in the office, actually. Uh, but I was nostalgic for it today as I looked at the new Civil War handbook by Mark Hughes. And uh, I, let's learn more about uh, this new publication. Mark, are you with us there? Uh, Jerry, yes, I am. Wonderful. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show. I'm sorry you couldn't have joined us a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had you scheduled, and, and you had laryngitis, I believe. Yes, sir, and I can talk again. You, you sound much better than that, that phone call you gave me on that Tuesday when uh, uh, you, you croaked out your, your, your desperate plea for rescheduling. Uh, so I'm, I'm very glad we were able to do this and, and get things back together. Um, well, my recollection of the original Civil War handbook uh, is a fond one. Uh, did it play a role in your uh, initial interest in the Civil War? Uh, yes, sir. It's the first book ever purchased. Uh, I was 10 years old also. And in 1960, uh, 1961, went with my mother and younger sister to Richmond to visit relatives and went to the national battlefield at Richmond and purchased a book. Now, back then, allowance was a quarter, so a $5 book was a tremendous investment. Now, but it was not a $5 book. I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. I, I may be wrong now. I'm saying that sounds like a lot. I'm, I'm recalling these, these books were cheaper than that, but it could be. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it, it was the first one, and it got you started. Uh, yes, sir. So the uh, uh, did you begin? At some point, you began reading other books about the Civil War. Did this become an interest that, that sustained you? That you sustained uh, through school? Uh, uh, how, how did did you continue to read about the war after that? I, I did. Uh, our public library had several books uh, in the uh, juvenile section. Uh, I could not tell you the names of them. I remember reading them. Unfortunately, I did not like history in school, in public school, even though I had probably the best high school teacher I've ever had in the 11th grade in U.S. history. Uh, I ran across several teachers in the lower grades that you memorize this, this is what happened, and, and you made 100 on the test, and I'm just not one to memorize and I'm one of these people who go ask why, and uh, there were no forthcoming answers. 
So in some ways, unfortunately, I was turned off uh, somewhat on history. Uh, when we moved to our present location in 1966, I can look out my front window and see the revolutionary battle of King's Mountain, the turning point in the Revolutionary War in the South. And then I started reading again. Uh, well, it, it's a shame. Uh, that, too, is a common experience. I, I find even among my students today, I'll, I'll hear of uh, high school uh, or, or middle school history teachers who, who focused on memorization or who uh, could not answer, and, and, and worse yet, were not interested in answering the, the why questions of, of history, uh, which I would agree are the interesting ones. That, that's what we want to know. Now, you uh, did you go on to, to uh, do this uh, for a living, anything connected with the Civil War? Uh, no, sir. I'm an electronics technologist. I was a technician for a number of years, uh, did field service, mainly in the Carolinas, had a chance to go back to college and uh, remember my one U.S. history class in college, undergrad, the uh, professor kept quizzing me one day. He said, you cannot be an electronics major. Electronics majors hate history. <laughs> but I told him, I said, no, Dr. Norris, you were teaching analysis. Uh, you were teaching why. And that's what electronic people do. We figure out what went wrong to fix it. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because a historian might have a just the, the contrary stereotype, uh, as your professor apparently did, that it, an engineer is more focused on facts and, and, and even memorization. But but really, any profession has to be about analysis, has to be about figuring out how things work, uh, uh, or else you could just train uh Train any, any uh, you know high schooler with a memory how to do it, and, and we don't do that. So, uh, you do you continue work in, in electronics? Uh, I teach electronics for Cleveland Community College. We're also in North Carolina. We're west of Charlotte, and uh, we haven't quite gotten that bad on the budget yet. Uh, you never know, though. What uh, the legislature's in session, and nobody's liberty or property safe. <laughs> well, certainly. Uh, I've, I've had conversations with uh, with colleagues, with people we hire, with uh, friends of mine who, who teach at Pitt Community College uh, here in town, and uh, there are those on, who find themselves conflicted, especially those on the more uh, uh, conservative or libertarian uh, side of the political spectrum. They they don't like the high taxes, but they really don't want to lose their jobs, and uh, uh, we're, we're being faced with uh, a, a tight question between one or the other for some people. Uh, but let's let's go back to the safe ground of the 1860s, where all people do is, is kill one another over national issues. The uh, uh, so what gave you the idea to to go back and recreate the the uh, the handbook, uh, the William Price Civil War Handbook? Well, I've written four books on Civil War cemeteries, which is my little expertise area. No one else in the country has written books on both Union and, and Confederate cemeteries, and I've written two on each. But I kept having people look at it, and they say, well, this is not what I want. I, I can't like something general about the Civil War, and I keep my prices book here. I use it a lot uh, when I talk to school groups or, or do PowerPoint presentations for checking dates and checking casualties and things like that. So um, I said, hmm, this would be a great book to reissue maybe more pictures, and maybe more facts. Uh, Price was kind of sh- slim on facts. And there's some things that you could, if you had a source to look up, would be very quick to look up. Uh, some of the uh, material you might or might not ever find in the official records or some of the other uh, books uh, published on the war. 
Let me backtrack a minute. You mentioned cemeteries. Um, so you've written on both Union and Confederate cemeteries. And how how did you come by that interest? Uh, Some years ago, I was at a cemetery. I don't know where. I think it was probably a national cemetery. And I saw a marker said unknown. And I asked my mother. I was probably 10 or 12. And I said, well, who's there? And she said, we don't know. We don't know. Actually, I tried to chase a uh, relative of mine, a uh, brother of my great-great-grandfather, who disappeared during the Civil War and died at Rock Island, Illinois, been to see his grave several times. But nobody in the family knew what happened to him. We could not figure it out. I I kept looking and said, surely somebody has written a book on Civil War cemeteries. And till this date, there's never been a um, definitive reference written, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to write it either. It's uh, a tremendous amount of research, and uh, what I do for a living and, re- and historical research aren't the same thing. So uh, I do all this on my own nickel, shall we say. Well, that, that's uh, unfortunately, and, and come back to the same subject as earlier, if the legislature has their way, a lot of us uh, who teach uh, history at the university for a living will find our research time and research resources taken away, and, and we'll be writing our books on our own nickel as well, which uh, is really not uh, a good use of, of resources, but that may, may come to pass. Um, but enough about that. The, uh, I'm looking at a volume uh, that uh, by Jeffrey Richmond. We had him on the show uh, a while back called uh, Final Camping Ground. It's about the, the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. And until uh, he was on the show, I admit I'd never really given much thought to Civil War cemeteries, and uh, his book turned out to be really, uh, uh, really a delightful, uh, fascinating book that opened my eyes to the, uh, the amount of information that's available by studying cemeteries and, and, and the, uh, uh, the historical resources connected with them. So have you traveled around much to look at Civil War cemeteries? Well, I spent my um, my phase two months at the National Archives and the Library of Congress. Unfortunately, uh, local when you go to a cemetery, even the national cemeteries, they they don't know who why they're there. They don't know where they came from, and unfortunately, many of the people associated with them don't seem to care too much. Uh, there's been several places I've asked uh, some pointed questions. There, at least one cemetery has some major problems. We might talk about later, but uh, they they just don't seem to to care. Their job to uh, maintain the cemetery and the history thereof uh, they don't care about. Now, as an archivist at the archives told me one day, as you well know, the material on national cemeteries before 1920 is incomprehensible. And trust me, he's absolutely right. It's, it's just a, a digging process to find what you can find out about them. Wow. So uh, what are these books that you've written? Just to share the titles with us, if you would. Uh, the Bivouac of the Dead and the Unpublished Roll of Honor about Union Cemeteries, Confederate Cemeteries Volume 1 and Volume 2, are, of course, Confederate Cemeteries, and they, they are more of the genealogy, list of names and history of cemeteries in Virginia. Interesting indeed. Well, we'll take a short break now. We'll come back in just a moment. We're talking today with Mark Hughes. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio.
the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. If you have a young nephew or niece who might be interested in the Civil War, if they could be torn away from the uh, keyboard or iPod for just a moment, what book would be the one to start them? It might be the new Civil War Handbook. We'll talk with its author some more in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. In an instant, my son could make anyone smile. In an instant, he was gone. The driver was looking for other cars. But he didn't watch out for my son crossing the street. Imagine, in the time it takes to stop for someone in the crosswalk, you could save a life or change yours forever. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Every day, the chances of becoming a victim of mercury poisoning increase. Mercury poisoning may cause neurological damage that impairs learning, vision, and memory. And mercury itself has become part of our everyday lives, absorbed by certain fish, taken into our bodies, and passed on to our children like a common cold. But you can stop this. Log on to earthshare.org and find out how. A public service message brought to you by Earthshare and the Ad Council. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Mark Hughes, author of the new Civil War Handbook. Uh, Before returning to that subject, I'd just like to make the observation that this show, which will be our uh, last one of the season for Civil War Talk Radio, um, is coming to you on uh, June 19th of 2009, uh, in case you're listening uh, to a recording much later. Uh, And uh, June 19th is, of course, uh, Juneteenth, the uh, day in which news of the Emancipation Proclamation, according to tradition, reached some of the more remote parts uh, of the South, uh, Texas, for example, in 1865 after the end of the Civil War. Of course, during the war itself, there was no motivation for slaveholders to tell their slaves that uh, Lincoln had announced, had had proclaimed their freedom, and therefore uh, the word uh, had to travel by uh, the grapevine telegram, and it took a while to get some places, and uh, today, in some communities across the country, Juneteenth is celebrated as a uh, as a holiday of remembrance of uh, the end of slavery, uh, the beginning of emancipation. Uh, I was teaching this morning my Civil War and Reconstruction course, and we had just gotten to the section where we were discussing the implementation of emancipation after the war, how how it actually worked, what the new relations were between slave and slaveholder uh, once those two categories had been extinguished, and the uh, appropriate irony of doing so uh, on the day of of Juneteenth when the news was spread uh, uh, was was 
very appropriate. It was uh, as if, if we had gotten to study Pickett's charge on July 3rd, I would have had the same sensation of uh, pleasure that we were tying past and present together this morning in the classroom. Well, returning to the new Civil War handbook, it's a volume with a subtitle, Facts and Photos for Readers of All Ages. The author is Mark Hughes, our guest today. Uh, Mark, the subtitle says it's for readers of all ages, uh, but I don't want to give the impression to our listeners that it's it's really a book aimed at children. I didn't, as I looked through it, I found it uh, uh, entertaining and, and interesting and, and not really uh, something that I would just put aside and say, oh, this is a kid's book. Did, did you aim it at children? Uh, no, sir. I aimed it um, at someone who was an entry level into the Civil War. Uh, however, I also wanted the, the data. Remember, that's my technical background. I wanted uh, one source, uh, slim volume, that you could find data that you don't normally find without consulting a lot of things. So uh, the, that is the, for the more serious Civil War buff. Well, let's, let's take a look, uh, metaphorically speaking, through, through the book, um, there are a number of different sections. Uh, the first one that you've written here is a list of the names of the war, for example, a page uh, listing the various names by which the Civil War is known, um, the war between the states, of course, the war of the rebellion, but also the war of northern aggression, as perhaps some of our neighbors here in North Carolina might say. Um, but uh, also there's the slaveholders' rebellion, as uh, some of our, our listeners uh, further north might choose to say. Uh, now, this um, you know gets the book off to an appropriate start, letting people know that, that there are many uh, different ways to name the war. Uh, but you don't say any more about that uh, yet. What, what we have instead is a publisher's preface before uh, we even get to the, the, the book itself. Uh, by Ted Savas at, at, at Savas Beatty Publishing, where he takes on the issue of the causes of the war. So I, I got the feeling you kind of handed the uh, political hot potato to, to Ted, and he did a very good job with it. Uh, you list the causes, the names of the war, but not why somebody might choose one over the other. Uh, how did you work that out with, 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 with Ted Savas? Uh, he, took, he picked up the hot potato and ran with it. <laughs> Well, he, I think he does an, an admirable job in just two pages in, in laying out uh, various causes that people have advanced and, uh, and, and suggesting they all lead back one way or another toward the issue of slavery, uh, whether, whether one accepts or doesn't the degree that the states' rights or the tariff are involved. Uh, certainly slavery uh, seems to come back to it. Um, the book from there, your book, uh, is not focused on politics particularly, but as you say, uh, data. What, what kinds of data uh, do we find in this book? Well, one of the most useful things I mentioned earlier were battle dates and losses. Uh, a lot of times I will be, we were writing a paper or working on a uh, PowerPoint or something, and I needed uh, real quickly the dates of the battle and, and some idea of the losses. The original uh, book, uh, price, uh, Prices, he copied his material and had some errors in it, uh, and also he had no real hard data on Confederate losses. And as much as possible, we expanded the Confederate losses when when the numbers could be found, and added that to the book. Uh, another area that uh, Price did not have in the in the first book, in fact, that was the only thing he really had in the first book as far as data, 
with alternate names for battles. Um, I was reading uh, something from uh, the Confederate War Department some months ago, and they were looking at the Battle of Baker's Creek. And I had always thought the Confederates called the uh, climactic or turning point of the Vicksburg campaign Champion Hill, but apparently they used both names. And that's, that's confusing. Uh, people starting out will find out about Bull Run and Manassas and Antietam and Sharpsburg, but uh, some of these other battles, the, the 1862 campaign at Richmond and the battles around Atlanta, uh, I've always had trouble with those. That's, that's something I was wanting to work on. So did you, to a large extent, use your own sense? Uh, if it was something that, that struck you as interesting or worthwhile, that would be a good thing to include here? Well, I did work with an ex- excellent editor, editor, Terry S. Johnston, and uh, we I came up with a list and we triaged it. And then we tried to prioritize what we thought was the most important. Um, I was reading something the other day. I'm an amateur radio operator, and somebody had posted something on a website in response to my talking about the book. And he was talking about the cemetery at Elmira, New York. And there's really, not in the official records, a complete record of the Confederate deaths up north uh, much less there's no record in the, in the official, rec- uh, official records of the uh, deaths in the Union camps. And that's one thing I definitely wanted to include. That's, that's very important. Now, you use the official records, you say, for a lot of the uh, numerical information you have here. Uh, but w- what do you do when it's not in the official records? On this one, uh, for the Union deaths in the Union prison camps, the Confederates that died up north, we used to report of the commissioner for marking Confederate graves in 1912. They didn't spend money on Confederates that died up north uh, until 1912. In fact, the first federal money on marking Confederate graves was in 1906 at Arlington. Uh, and then for the Confederate camps, where there's just almost no data available except for Andersonville, uh, the War Department Quartermaster's General Office uh, published a 27-volume Roll of Honor series in the late 1860s, early 70s. And um, there's one volume that lists just prisoner of war deaths. So we took that and used that for our data on deaths in the Confederate camps. So you, you had to count those names, or, or did they supply the numbers? Uh, they had uh, numbers per camp in some cases. This is in case I counted. Hmm. Uh, for example, the major causes of death of the Union soldiers uh, came from the 1870s U.S. Army Surgeon General's report. And the, the battle wounds came there. Well, this, uh, you know, the way you suggest you, one could use this book does seem really helpful. Uh, in many cases, uh, there will be a situation, I know if I'm preparing a, a discussion for a class and I need to remember, oh, you know, what's the approximate casualties at Shiloh, uh, these days, one can go online. You can go to Wikipedia and get uh, a quick number, but there's no guarantee that that number is accurate, that somebody hasn't tampered with it in the last 30 minutes, uh, or that it was right in the first place. And to have it in print where uh, where you know the source is good every time uh, rather than going online and hoping you get something good uh, could be very helpful, even in this Internet age. Uh, I, I see a lot of uses for this book in that sense. It's reassuring to hear you talk about the, the sources. Uh, one thing I, I found a little bit of a concern was that the, 
the sources aren't there, uh, are not printed in the book. Um, it's not footnoted. It's not that kind of book, and it would be probably inappropriate to, to fill the bottom of every page with, with source information. But it is reassuring to hear uh, where, where you found these numbers uh, and that, that someone preparing a talk for the Rotary Club who needs, needs that Shiloh casualty number can quote your number with, with a pretty clear conscience. Now, one other thing we did want to include was a glossary. Uh, there are always terms that you, you come up with that you just hadn't um, thought of. And, uh, yes, you could probably go get Boatner's Civil War Dictionary, but uh, this thing's a lot cheaper. And I, I only have one of those. I, can, I have several of these. I can keep one here and keep one at work real quick for quick reference. That's true. And, and, yeah, and Boatner you know, is invaluable as a reference. Uh, everyone ought to have a copy at hand. But... Uh, but for the, for the references here, the, the, way, uh, uh, the way you have them, there are some very useful ones uh, for, for terms that people might not know or they've read and they can't quite remember offhand. What is the galvanized Yankee or uh, what's the legion as opposed to a regiment? Uh, uh, definitely a, a handy thing to have. I thought the glossary was quite, uh, quite useful. The... Photographs you have are interesting. Um, Price's book had illustrations, and the, uh, the National Park Service uh, battle size, uh, small size books that I, I think of as inseparable from Price because they were all in the same place on my shelf, uh, and still are. In fact, uh, they had photographs as well. But you've got some photographs that that viewers may not have seen before. Uh, yes, sir. Many of these came from the Library of Congress. They have a collection of over 5,000 photographs online. Many, but not all, in very high-resolution TIFF files. So um, I could not have afforded uh, to spend the money and the time at the Library of Congress or the Archives to do this. Now, there were others that I ended up from the Military History Institute, uh, one from Oklahoma Historical Society, uh, some I had to have some contractor uh, print from the Library of Congress. I'm sorry, from the National Archives. And it's interesting, as much time as I've spent in the National Archives, I have never been in their new branch, Archives 2, up in College Park. It's been there for a number of years. I've seen it from a van. I've just <laughs> never before had a reason to go there. Well, these, uh, these photographs are certainly... Uh, an interesting selection. The, most listeners will, looking through them, uh, for every one that you, you turn and say, oh, that's a familiar photograph, I've seen that. The next one you'll say, uh, that one I haven't seen. And, uh, and, and, and they're on point, they're not obscure. You have pictures of, uh, in a section called Battles and Battlefields, um, quite a few pictures of battlefields with casualties on them. Uh, were you consciously doing this to, to avoid romanticizing uh, the subject you're writing about? Uh, part, partly, and I honestly believe that most Civil War photographers that, that made pictures of battlefields probably tried to put dead people in, in the picture. Uh, this seems that maybe at least a third of the pictures I saw of, ca of battlefields had casualties. Uh, the most difficult picture to obtain was the uh, Springfield rifle musket uh, a lot of park service uh, places I talked to, yeah, we've got them. We just don't have a picture of it. So uh, huh. finding a picture of that and the infield rifle musket, the two most used weapons, was difficult. 
some of the more, say, the Sharps carbine and the uh, uh, Spencer repeating rifle, uh, they were easy. I got them from the Rock Island Arsenal without any trouble. Uh, but the, 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 two most used, the two most used ones took a while to find somebody who had a copy. Well, and, and, and these are just straightforward pictures. You just see the, the weapon itself uh, flat against a white background, so you can really see the detail in each case. And I, you do have the photo credit here, NC Museum of History, uh, up in Raleigh. So uh, it looks like they were able to help you out there. Uh, yes, sir. And I was lucky. One of my colleagues uh, is good with AutoCAD. And although we have a picture of a mini ball, he drew a nice um, current pic, uh, drawing of how the mini ball was actually kept in the case where the soldier would tear the paper off, uh, drop the powder down, and drop the mini ball into the firearm. Uh, one that you don't normally see, and that's the only contemporary picture or drawing, except the there are two that show organization of units. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are only three contemporary uh, drawings in the, in the book. Well, when I saw the, the say, this drawing, uh, sort of a diagram of what a cartridge looked like with the, the black powder and the ball itself, that, uh, again, uh, I, I was transported back uh, to reading Jack Coggins' book, Arms and Equipment of the Civil War, uh, which was illustrated with his own uh, pen drawings, but uh, he brought to life, again, for a, a child setting up the Civil War toy soldiers on the living room floor, uh, a sense of, of how the men lined up and what the weapons were like. And then uh, in this book, uh, recaptures some of that uh, some of that sense. Uh, but then every time one gets nostalgic and thinks of the war as this, this childhood lark, uh, there's a picture like the one in 46 of the uh, uh, soldiers from Ewell's Corps uh, at Spotsylvania, uh, a, a row of casualties. Um, uh, I, I don't, may not have been looking in the right places, but it's not a photograph I recall seeing before. And uh, it's just very moving, The, the this row of... Uh, uh, of dead men lying uh, alongside a road. They've been placed there, clearly. Uh, did not just fall that way. But uh, th- th- there's a great deal of pathos about that photograph. And, and uh, in contrast to the the ones, more familiar ones, of the, the casualties at Antietam or Gettysburg, it's, it may be one most uh, listeners to the show haven't seen before. Uh, so uh, another good reason to take a look at this. Now, in the beginning of the book, you've got a section of quotes, uh, things people said, famous or not so famous people said. Uh, what was your favorite of those quotes? I, I really believe, and uh, uh, Marianne Ball Bickerdike, and she, she was in her 40s. She was a volunteer nurse with the Union Army. And one day an Army surgeon questioned whose authority she did something on, and she said, on the authority of Lord God Almighty, have you anything that outranks that? <laughs> well, that's that's a uh, definitely a hard one to argue with. There, there are some uh, other very good ones, but uh, now, likewise, after the uh, quotes, you have uh, a section of interesting facts about the war. What we'll do here is take another short break and come back and. Uh, uh, maybe you can share with us some of those uh, interesting bits and uh, uh, see if our listeners know the things they think they know about the Civil War. So we'll do that in just a minute. We'll come back, uh, talk more uh, with our guest, Mark Hughes. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. 
World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. If you could supply yourself with one small book to take on an expedition to go to Civil War battlefields, one good candidate would be the new Civil War Handbook by Mark Hughes. We'll talk with its author when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. In an instant, my son could make anyone smile. In an instant, he was gone. The driver was looking for other cars. But he didn't watch out for my son crossing the street. Imagine, in the time it takes to stop for someone in the crosswalk, you could save a life or change yours forever. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Every day, the chances of becoming a victim of mercury poisoning increase. Mercury poisoning may cause neurological damage that impairs learning, vision, and memory. And mercury itself has become part of our everyday lives, absorbed by certain fish, taken into our bodies, and passed on to our children like a common cold. But you can stop this. Log on to earthshare.org and find out how. A public service message brought to you by Earthshare and the Ad Council. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Mark Hughes, author of the new Civil War Handbook, as well as a series of books on Civil War cemeteries that we talked about a little bit earlier in the previous segment. Um, Before returning to the book, uh, this is our last show of the season. I would like to thank, as always, the engineers at World Talk Radio for the excellent work they do bringing this show to you, bringing the sound in at appropriate levels and the uh, musical cues at the right time. They they make it effortless at this end, uh, seamless, uh, I hope, in, in audio appearance, and I appreciate everything they do. Uh, the I appreciate also uh, the public service announcements, which uh, have rendered the listenership, uh, assuming advertising is effective, have rendered the listenership of, of Civil War Talk Radio the most safe-driving and mercury-free group of people, perhaps, in the, on the entire planet. Um, last season, we avoided committing gun crimes uh, at a, a remarkable rate. Um, I would say something smart-alecky about the, the old PSAs for historic preservation, but that's actually something a lot of us are involved in, um, whereas the gun crime thing we're, we're trying to put behind us as, as a Civil War community. Um, but uh, I do appreciate uh, all the work that the engineers do and, and wanted to thank them on the air before we take our, our summer uh, hiatus and, and go line up new shows for the fall season. Uh, well, Mark, uh, returning to uh, this book, which I, I did find very uh, very useful and, and, and will definitely take its place on, on my shelf next to the original Civil War handbook and a few others, um, 
there are some other books that, that sort of fit the same category. There was a book of uh, photos. Ah, and boy, I don't have it in front of me. I want to, maybe Alan Nevins wrote the text for it. Um, there are a couple other such books, most dating to the centennial era, of, of small uh, outline books of, of general information about the war. But uh, but this one brings it up to date. This this has information, new information, new uh, hard data, new photographs, all that have emerged since the 1960s, and, and certainly will uh, supplement, if not uh, replace, those earlier ones. Now, one thing this book has uh, is a uh, a list of books for further reading, and I want to uh, ask you how you you came up with that. I will say first of all that um, it is an excellent uh, list of books, uh, as I would say of any list that includes all for the regiment, the Army of the Ohio, uh, in its section on books to read about different armies. Uh, so right there, uh, you know, you had me at that point. I was going to love the rest of it. But tell me how you came up with this uh, book list in general. I used a several sources books I had read, uh, several sources, one of the Civil War Roundtable uh, list, I believe. And uh, my editor, uh, again, Terry, did an excellent job. He's a wordsmith, and he was familiar with several other books that he suggested we add, and that's where the, the list came from. I can't take credit for all the books. I can't take credit for all the websites we list. Uh, uh, we'll take the blame for leaving off probably some Civil War points of interest we didn't put in. Well, let me say on the book list, the uh, and you can pass the blame on to your editor if I say anything critical here, uh, but I did notice there were uh, a fairly substantial number uh, of books from the same publisher, uh, Savas Beatty, which is not unusual because they do a lot of excellent Civil War books, uh, indeed, reading the list of battles and campaign books, it was like uh, uh, it was like looking at the Civil War uh, talk radio uh, roster. People who've been on the show: Gary Joyner, Tim Smith, Larry Daniel, Bradfrey Got, uh, Bradley Gottfried, uh, J. David Petruzzi, uh, George Rabel, Gordon Rath, uh Tim Smith, Eric Wittenberg, uh, Michael Nugent. Uh, Stephen Woodworth. Uh, that, that's just right in a row. Every one of them has been on the show, uh, and many of them are, are published by the same publisher. Now, I, I don't. I'm not suggest. Not even trying to give uh, give a hard time, even teasingly, because these are all excellent books and ought to be in a list like this. Uh, but one of them did kind of get me. It was called the Complete Guide to Gettysburg uh, by J. David Petruzzi and Stephen Stanley, uh, which I. Yesterday, I thought would likely probably be an excellent book, and it, a copy arrived in the mail today. Uh, it's just been published uh, from Savas Beatty, and it does look like an excellent book, and I hope to have the cartographer on uh, next season where we can talk about it. I look forward to seeing it. But you've, you've got a book in, in your list, in other words, that hasn't come out yet, so you're going on faith. It's going to be a great book. Going on faith. <laughs> Faith, faith is a good thing. I've, I confess, I've done the same in in, uh, in my uh, in writing about Lincoln and in, in, uh, did Lincoln own slaves? Uh, I went on faith in one or two occasions, uh, listing books that had just come out or had not even come out yet. Uh, and and uh, Craig Simon's book on Lincoln and his admirals, for instance, and I would say my faith was uh, repaid in that case, and I'm, I'm sure yours will be in this one too. 
I will say the, the list does tend toward recent books. Um, there's not a lot of older classics here. Uh, was that, again, something you thought about? Uh, I mean, there is Bell Wiley, there is some Douglas Freeman, some Bruce Canton, but the vast majority of the books are, are less than 20 years old. Uh, they're books that I uh, have seen or were recommended. Um, part of my problem here is I'm not in a research library. Uh, we don't have a research library, a decent research library, within uh, 100 miles or so. So uh, I have to do somewhat on recommendations. Hmm. And that, that's uh, certainly a concern uh, for, for anyone. Uh, uh, to some extent, the the internet gives gives some relief uh, as more and more books appear in uh, inaccessible form that way. But that brings us to your your uh, next section, or the previous section actually in the book, Civil War on the Web. Uh, you've got a, a list of very uh, helpful websites with uh, more than just the, the web address, but a, a little mini paragraph describing uh, what you'll find there, so that the, the reader knows why to go to those sites. Is there a risk when you put something like that in that this is going to go obsolete really fast, given how quickly the web evolves every day? So this is one the publisher and uh, my editor and I discussed at some length. Uh, and, of course, this might be why you have to eventually do a second edition. Uh, yes, I, there was one reference. I was using one site, and I lost it twice in six months. So that that part bothers me. Now, the majority of these are either colleges or organizations, so you should be able, if you lose the particular site, do a Google search and find it again. And while we're stopped here, if you don't mind, let me plug, at all. Let me plug my website, uh, www.civilwarhandbook.com. Uh, a little bit more about the book, a little bit more about my, my background, and we'll eventually expand, have something about my amateur radio and about the um, the cemetery research I do. But uh, we're right now working just, uh, we've got it up and running, uh, the appearances, et cetera. We're, we're still in the process of lining up uh, uh, appearances. So it's www.civilwarhandbook.com. Yes, sir, all written together, all lowercase. Sound, sounds good. Listeners, you'll want to take a look at that. The... Uh, well, as you suggest, a lot of these uh, websites, the National Park Service, the Civil War Preservation Trust, um, uh, the, the Smithsonian Library of Congress, if, if uh, for whatever reason they change their website, one could certainly track it down again. Uh, Civil War Talk Radio is not listed here, but uh, that would make sense because they do change the web address uh, regularly or, or have done so a couple times in the past uh, and uh, printing it out would not do anyone any good. Uh, but hopefully those who uh, get interested in the subject will come across the, sh- the, the show sooner or later. The, uh, uh, the blogs you list, I guess, would be even more likely to, uh, to come and go. Uh, uh, but, but some of them, uh, we, we've had some of the, the bloggers, uh, Kevin Levine uh, and... Uh, who else have we had? Then um, I'm drawing a, uh, a sudden blank. Um, uh, well, I'll let it go. It'll come back to me the instant the show is over. Um, uh, Rotov uh, is his name, uh, another Civil War blogger. Uh, we've had several on who who have 
brought that very interesting uh, aspect of the Civil War uh, to our listeners. So uh, even if these websites may may not necessarily be here uh, in a year or two, uh, some will be, and then they'll give people clues as to where to go next. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, points of interest that you, you you may have left some out here. You do have a, a list uh, organized by state of, of places worth visiting, and again, you provide a website for each uh, so people can decide what to see first. Not just uh, you know, big places like Gettysburg, but you know, Pickett's Mill in Georgia, um, uh, you know, Fort uh, you know, Olesty in Florida, places that might not be immediately on somebody's radar screen. How did you come up with that list? Uh, I, did, I um, went and searched for the places I knew had sites and uh, went to each state, uh, uh, well, their state parks or their state historic sites, and that was basically how we developed the list. And, and, and some parents may hate me for this. You know, when they buy their children this, uh, they may hate me. They say, we've got to go here, we've got to go there. But it's a place that you, you can visit and learn about the war near your hometown and not have to drive uh, three, 400 miles. It's a shame, but um, we had the turning point of the revolution outside my house, and 90% of the people who live in the county I live in, Cleveland County, have no idea it was not made, named for Benjamin Cleveland. It was named for a commander. I'm sorry, it was named for Benjamin Cleveland. It was not named for Glover Cleveland, the president. He was named for a commander at Kings Mountain, and they have no idea of that. Well, I would I would guess uh, that's probably true of people. I mean, the same syndrome by which New Yorkers don't go to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. Uh, people tend to neglect their local sites, and, and this book hopefully will remind people of the places uh, near where they live. Well, the music, again, brings us to the end of our hour uh, too soon, as it does each week and, indeed, this season. Uh, but Mark, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm a broadcast engineer. I think the technicians did an excellent job. Well, uh, I, I certainly do too. Uh, I thank them, and uh, to the listeners who will enjoy reading the new Civil War handbook by Mark Hughes, I especially say thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.